If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. What's up? This is Isaac Hayes III, and I just jumped off the porch with Dirty Glove Bastard. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We got Isaac Hayes III, a.k.a. Ike Dirty, jumping off the porch with us today. What's up, bro? What's up, man? Man, feeling good, brother. How about you? Amazing. Glad to be here, man. Yes, sir. That's what's up, man. Great to have you on the porch. Glad you could come by. Um, I know we've been, you know, talking about this for a while, wanting to make it happen. Yeah. Um, and you a person who, you know, throughout the years since I've met you, like, you know, bumping into you at random events, things like that, we've always been able to, you know, share some good conversation, whether it be yeah. about tech or whether it be about just you know, random BS that we see in the industry or, you know, what may have you. So I'm yeah. um, definitely looking forward to, you know, having a conversation with you. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's kind of start from the beginning. Um, you, you, you born and raised in Memphis, right? I was born in Memphis, okay. but, I, but I got to Atlanta when I was three. Okay. So I'm ATL. Okay, word. <laughs> yes, sir. ATL all day. Um, and you're the son of legendary Isaac Hayes. Absolutely. That's what's up. Um, and I mean, I'll just start off by saying, I mean, I feel like Isaac Hayes probably has uh, some of the most classic um, songs that have been sampled, you know, in hip hop. I say this all the time, like James Brown is the most sampled artist of all time. But I think Isaac Hayes has like all the biggest artists have sampled him. Like I name, I do that all the time. It's like Dre, Tupac, Biggie, Snoop. Wu Tang, um, Ghetto Boys, yeah, Mind Ghetto Boys, song. Public Enemy. It's like a long, you know. What's that? Did I say Jay Z? Yeah, yeah. Jay Z, like everybody got, like everybody got an Isaac Hayes sample in their catalog. So. Yeah, no, nah, I feel the same way. Like I feel like the most classic, most, uh, you know, Isaac Hayes was probably like probably has the most monumental songs that have been sampled. Or, yeah. If, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Most definitely. And and he was making songs, it was crazy. Like they were like, back then, the songs were like 10 minutes long, man. Like. Oh yeah, he, I call him the, the, the master of symphonic soul. Hmm. He was kind of the first guy to take like orchestras and, and put it with real down south R&B type stuff. Nah, real, most, real urban, you know, organs and all that kind of stuff. He was the first person to do that. Right, right, yeah. definitely. So man, what was it like coming up in Atlanta? It was, I mean, it was great. Like, Atlanta's man is like, uh, growing up in Atlanta is a blessing. And I say this all the time because you don't really, I've never felt like a minority living in Atlanta. And that's a real, that's a real situation, meaning like we've always had a political structure in the city that kind of afforded us the opportunity to really build our businesses without this like, this oppressive, you know, like white supremacy, like, you know, bubble on top of us so we've had black mayors and city councils police chiefs and 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 we got music industry movies the dope game the strip game auc you know everything is just like all black so it's really a really 
a great place to kind of cultivate who you are as a black person. Absolutely. Uh, what side of Atlanta um, did you come up on? I grew up all over. If I want, if, if I want to be honest, like I spent, I grew most of my years in Buckhead. It sounds okay. crazy, but okay. I grew up most of my life in, in Buckhead. But um, but I went to public school, so I went to you know like I went to Sutton Middle School and Northside North Atlanta High School. So I went to middle school with Andre Three Thousand and. You know, um, and then went on to high school and, and did performing arts and marching band and stuff like that. Wow, that's what's up. So, you you were, I mean, in the mix, like kind of at an early age, like with um, with other creatives and things like that. Would you say? I started. I mean, I started probably around fifteen or sixteen, kind of getting into the figuring out what I wanted to do with music. Okay. I wasn't too sure, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? But I think at that point, uh, my parents always left the door open. They weren't, they weren't pressuring me to go to college. Mm -hmm. They were like, you gotta go get a go, go to college and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I, I wound up not going to college. Okay. I just got like a regular job at a place called the Linen Loft. Mm -hmm. Worked there for like two years and then finally decided I wanted to be a producer and so I quit my job. Okay, and I was about to ask you at what point uh, did you decide that you were gonna be a producer? I just, I just hated, I knew I didn't wanna have a boss. Mm -hmm. Right, and I was like, yo, man, I said, I'm gonna quit my job. There's two things I never wanna do in life. Work for another person again and ride public transportation. And I haven't done either since. So I haven't been on Marta since 1996. <laughs> and I haven't had a boss since 96 either. So that's what's up, that's what's up. Setting them goals and, and, and sticking to it and being able to live by it. Oh, it was a grind, absolutely. It was a sacrifice, man. It's, 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 a, big, it's, a, it's a big sacrifice. I don't think people know that they should be making. It's kind of like the way the world teaches us. It's a little, it's a little backwards. Mm -hmm. the, the way that um, we're taught, we're taught to party on the front end of life, so we wind up working hard on the back end. Mm -hmm. But if you work hard on the front end of life, mm -hmm. then you can party on the back end. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Because a lot of us feel like we need to, you know, you have those goals of, man, when I reach 25, when I get to 21, I need to have this. When I get to the age of 25, I need to be a millionaire yeah. or, you know, things like that. So, yeah. And, and then a lot of us like are so um, infatuated with the fast living early on yeah. that we don't see past you know, maybe 25 or whatever it is. But then when you get to 30 and you, you know, continue, if you're blessed to continue to age up, yeah. then you start to see like, wait a minute, like my best, I'm, I'm stepping into my best years or, Absolutely. you know, or you talk to like older heads and they tell you like, Hey, when you 40, like that's when, and when you're younger, you think like, wait, 40 is over the hill. But nah. then when you get there or close to it, you know, you really, you really enjoy it because now you got, now you got the wisdom, right? Right, it's like all the, and, and, and like all the things that you were like mad emotional about as a young kid, like girls and stressing about, you know, like being successful or am I gonna make it? You know what I'm saying? Failure, all that kind of stuff. It's just like, you know yourself. Can't nobody tell you, once you're like 35, nobody should be able to tell you about you. Like, yeah. you know who you are. All right. You know what I mean? So let me ask you, um, coming up in Atlanta, um, were you were you low key about like you know who your family was and all of that, yeah. or were you here known as hey this is the son of you know a legend? In, so in school, yeah, like in high school, you know, middle school and high school, people are going to know who your parents are. Mm -hmm. But once I started to 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 you know take my my journey into the music industry, mm -hmm. I came up with the name, or I got given the name Ike Dirty, and I wanted to do that, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to separate myself from my dad okay. for two reasons. One, no one's ever going to be able to, like, no one's going to be the first black man to win an Academy Award again like Isaac Hayes. So 
it's not necessarily being in the shadow of your parents, but I just want to say, okay, whatever I do, I want to do it over here in this vertical. So people won't always compare me to my father. Cause that's a little tough. You mm -hmm. just can't, you're not going to, ain't nobody going to be like him. He's one to one. So mm -hmm. I want to just do my own thing. Okay. I can dig it. Yeah. Now let me ask you this. When, uh, you know, being, a, when you got into producing and your pops being someone who, uh, was heavily sampled, um, did you ever have moments where you tried to go to, uh, you know, some of his records and sample, or did you ever even use the cheat code of finding like classics that other people may not have even had access to, to, you know, play with? No, you know what, again, cause, and everybody said that, man, I'd be sampling my dad's records. Like, no, cause <laughs> I'm a creative. Yeah. And then I understood publishing too. So yeah. I understood how publishing works. Gotcha. And once you understand how publishing works, you want to keep all the money you can get. So it's yeah. like sampling is like, it's cool. <laughs> but sometimes you ain't getting all the bread. Right, right. Yeah. Nah, I can dig it. And so with production, um, at what point, um, at what point did you know that you were really going to take it serious? Like, was there like a specific placement or some feedback that you had gotten to let you know? I think, I mean, I think I took it, when I quit my job and I, after I saved up enough money to buy my first equipment, mm -hmm. And then my dad saw that because it was two years and okay. I worked before I saved up money to get like the first little bit of gear I was going to get. Mm -hmm. And I bought that. And then I remember one day this, 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 this U-Haul truck pulls up and it's got like a bunch of old, like it's got like an old mixing board and some speakers. And it's like, this from your dad. It was old now. I don't get it. I had to wire it and hook it up. It was old school, but it yeah. was like, all right, you know what I'm saying? And, and he said, okay, he's taking it seriously. I'm going to give him some stuff. I'm going to see what he does with this. Um, and I did that. And then I just like, I think from 96 to like 2000 was like my college. That's where I really learned how to produce, like okay. figure out production. Um, and I started taking it seriously and I wanted to surround myself in opportunities where I could be around the music business. So mm -hmm. I always, I had no job. So my job was to be like, you know, either a studio manager or somebody that would always find himself inside of a studio working. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, I'm in there. So then the opportunity, I can always run into these opportunities to do so. Gotcha. Do you remember the first beat that you uh, got placed? So the first beat that I actually got placed was a song. On Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. On Tamar Braxton. Wow. It was supposed to be her first single. Me and Tricky did it. Okay. And I remember I got paid like $4,000. I was like, that's a lot of money like, for just like a beat or whatever. Like, you know what I'm saying? But I remember that, that, that first placement. Um, and then I kept, you know, I, I remember I started working at this other, other studio. It was like kind of a quick story called Hindu. I don't know if anybody remembers Hindu, but Hindu was like a record label owned by Alan Henderson. Okay. And the crazy part about it was the, the person that started Hindu with him I was one of the first A&Rs was Coach, Coach K. Mm -hmm. So they all from Indianapolis, they from Nap. Mm -hmm. So Hindu was just like a, a place for independent artists, stuff like that. And I started working over there. And then I, I wound up producing like a record on this group on Motown called Black Coffee, called Country Boys. Um, and then I just started, I was a very shy person though. So this is a real important part mm -hmm. is I was probably one of the most shy people you'd ever meet. Mm -hmm. And I remember my manager, um, Sean Johnson, Joe Blow, he was like, man, look, if you don't get out of this room with all these beats and go talk to people, you're just a dude in a room with some beats. And I kind of took that 
and made Ike Dirty the alter ego. Mm. So I started, I started like talking to like, one of the things I started doing is talking to girls like crazy. It sounds crazy, but I mastered the art of communicating with women okay. so that if you were never intimidated by talking to girls, you can talk to anybody. And once I did that, I'd be everywhere. Huh. And I started selling records and making relationships and doing all this kind of stuff. And that's where it started. Huh. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. Yo, so you, you, produced, um, you produced probably my favorite uh, little Scrappy song, uh, Money in the Bank. Yeah. Um, can you talk about like, what, what that was like, producing that, and what that time period was like? Yeah, it, it almost didn't happen for a couple reasons. One, um, when I was making the beat, my good friend, my boy Chevy, we were at the studio. I was managing Hot Beats. Okay. You remember that studio? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yo, I can make a snap. Snap records were big at the time. Hmm. I said, I can make a snap record with one hand. And I just did the doo, doo, doo. I was just doing this on the, on the MP, the, the beat, the whole beat like that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't recording nothing. It was like three or four people, girls in the room. We trying to, I was trying to flex. Yeah. I said, see? And I just turned the MP off. And my boy Chevy was like, nigga, what are you doing? <laughs> Bro, you gotta say that. That shit is dope, man. Like, say that beat. Huh. So I saved it. I turned the MP back on to save the sequence. And then um, that was it. Like, I, I kind of finished the beat a little bit down the road. And then managing the studio, Scrappy had a, um, had a, uh, a session, right? Mm-hmm. But the A&R, Orlando, right, didn't bring, he was supposed to bring the, he was supposed to bring the session to the studio and forgot to do it. So he sent the engineer to Stankonia to get the session. So Scrappy come in, I'm like, yo Scrappy, here's your room. You know, engineer left, whatever, whatever. And I had kind of worked with Scrappy one time before, but he was like, yo, I know you got some beats, cuz like, hmm. just play some, play some sh-, you know? Mm-hmm. So I played that beat and he started freestyling. Hmm. And he was like, I got money in the bank. Sorry, what you think? I was like, wait a minute. I was like, hold up, we gotta say, you gotta record that. <laughs> so he recorded it. Uh, he was trying to stack it. I was like, no, nah, we need to screw it. Hmm. Like, do the screw hook. So he did the screw hook and laid it. And all I know is, like, from the beat in that, I knew we had a hit record before we wrote it. Mm-hmm. And so the producer at the time came, and they weren't working on his song, because remember, it was another session. Mm-hmm. So they had to shut my session down mm-hmm. <laughs> and finish the song he was working on. Right. But Scrappy was like, look, I'm going to come back tomorrow. We're going to finish this shit. Mm-hmm. So me and him got in the studio the next day and finished the record. And then that was kind of, that was the, the history of that was, once we did the record, I actually got a chance, and how I really broke into the music industry, big time was doing ATL. So I don't know, so, I, so when ATL came out, I had done a record on Rough Riders, Ride or Die Volume 4. This is like towards the end of the Rough Riders era, but I did a record on this dude named Flashy Freddy, and um, uh, his manager is a guy named Set Free. So Set Free was like, yo, I'm working on this movie with Chris Robinson. I'm out in LA and everybody keeps sending us these West Coast beats. I know you got some beats. So I sent them like four beats, they picked two, mm-hmm. six beats, picked three. And wound up having eight. I had seven. And I said, let me send them this money in the bank record. Because mm-hmm. what I knew is if I send it to them and they gotta use it, then we gotta get the record mixed and mastered. Mm-hmm. So it was a play. Mm-hmm. So they said, we gotta have this. So then they had to mix and master it. And then they went on anger management tour and Young Buck jumped on the record. So now I had a mixed and mastered. Money in the Bank with the G-Unit artists and Scrappy. Mm-hmm. And this is when MySpace was popping. So I just, um, I started sending the record to all the DJs on MySpace. Little John had a DJ group. And I, I emailed the record to all the DJs and the record started taking off. Like it kind of started buzzing underground. I was on a mixtape. Mm-hmm. And I remember they shot 
they did they had an original single for those scrappy and then they they called up they called up being like man the djs they fuck with this money in the bank though and john being a stand-up dude that he was, was like all right we're gonna go with that one because mm. they wanted john to have the first single right yeah. but it was like no it's all good and so then um that was it record came out went gold but I, but it really taught me about music licensing because I, once i seen the checks that I got from licensing my music in TV and film, mm-hmm. I really wasn't that much interested in producing records that much anymore. Mm-hmm. So it turned into a career for me to license my music because it's not, it's not glamorous, but I'm not in this kind of like musical chairs of sitting down trying to get on people's albums. Right, right. That's a hard, that's a hard situation. Yeah, for sure. And was the music licensing uh, part, was that before or after uh, producing Money in the Bank? So it was it was kind of simultaneous gotcha. because they had asked for once I once I seen the checks. Oh, got you. When it went on the film, when sound. it went on the film and gotcha. I, I made like maybe like eighty thousand dollars. Like for, and, and again, I didn't sell the beats. It was just permission to use them in the film. And I still had all the publishing. Mm-hmm. So I even registered. I was like, well, how are we going to do this on BMI? And one of my people was like, oh, they'll just call it ATL background cues. And I was like, nah, I said they gave each one of these records a title for the movie mm-hmm. so i registered the records individually as instrumentals all eight of them or seven of them mm-hmm. as titles and then when i got the bmi check and i saw hbo max hbo east hbo west mm-hmm. cinemax bet and i was like oh this is crazy right. i'm making like i'm making money off cable and television right and so so at that point i mean i produced a, maybe a few more records but it really changed my perspective mm. Nah, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Were there ever any uh, opportunities to do anything with South Park? I know. Uh... You know, that, that situation with my dad, it, it, it was unfortunate the way it happened because Scientology, this, the people that Scientology designed on his behalf. Mm-hmm. My dad had a stroke in, in November. Mm-hmm. No, they aired the Scientology episode in November. Mm-hmm. My dad had a stroke in like February of 2006, mm-hmm. and then they aired it again in like March, and then he resigned after that, and they resigned on his behalf. Gotcha. So Chef was such a beloved character, but oh, yeah. he wasn't in the in the position. He was recovering from a stroke, mm-hmm. and he, he was, you know, that was a, a major breadwinner for him, yeah. for them to resign. So it was really like, you know, it was, it was kind of lame that he did it, and people have always asked, like, man, you should go back on South Park and be Chef for your dad, and I was like, I'm always open to it, you know, but mm-hmm. I just, I started doing, I started getting into other things. I, I started managing his estate. Mm-hmm. Um, I licensed my music for TV and film for like the next 10 years. And so I would just go to the mailbox and get checks for, you know, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 a quarter. Mm-hmm. And be like, this is great. Because mm-hmm. I can still kind of, I've always been an entrepreneur. So I can, I can chase other dreams mm-hmm. while just getting mailbox money. Wow. Managing a state is, I mean, that that's, sounds like an incredible responsibility. Absolutely. Um, how did you even... I mean, how'd you even learn how to do that? Or how'd you even, you know? So the majority of what you do in, with my dad is pretty much name, image, and likeness, mm-hmm. and then publishing. And so being the fact that I've been licensing my music for the last 10 years, I know licensing. I know permission to use the song. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, with copyright law, my dad's music is returning. So, like, it, 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 when, you, when you create a song, copyrights expire and they return to the original author. Mm-hmm. So a lot of his songs were gonna start to come back after 56 years. Gotcha. So I knew like, okay, we're gonna have this IP of these major songs, especially like, he was a songwriter before he was an artist. Mm-hmm. So he wrote songs like, Hold On, I'm Coming, and Soul Man, and When Something's Wrong With My Baby, and 
all these dope songs. And so when I knew those would be coming back, I'm like, I know how to do this. This is easy. So yeah. it was just managing those relationships and then finding other opportunities to use Isaac Hayes, either his likeness or his music. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I mean, I'm sure, I mean, all of that has also helped you in just navigating through business within music, tech, yes. you know, and everything. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, so yeah, let, let, let's tap into the tech side of things. Um, mm -hmm. So a few years ago, I remember, you know, I was one of the uh, early people on Clubhouse, um, more in the background, though. I wasn't really speaking on it. I, I wasn't a big fan of it. But I remember seeing you <laughs> in those rooms yeah. a lot, you know, um, voicing your opinion. And um, I, I didn't like Clubhouse in the beginning because I felt like you could either go into two types of rooms, either one, it's going to be some good information being passed on or the or two back then. Since it was a very low number of people in in the app, yeah. those rooms were just out and, you know. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Different execs and different people, and it was just rumor mills. I, right. I, I, I couldn't really get into it, but I saw that you were, like, really uh, integral, like, in the beginning of, like, that app even gaining popularity and other yeah. tastemakers and people um, getting on it. Um, then I remembered, uh, you know, seeing you talking about like, you know, taking back the culture and, and, and us, you know, um, making sure that like we're having ownership, like as creatives and things like that. And then I saw you, um, you know, start talking about fan base. Yeah. Um, can you talk to us about uh, fan base and how you came up with this concept? Yeah. So fan base was an idea that started in March of 2018. Okay. So, um, and I always, I always like to speak affirmatively, um, fan base is going to be an enormously successful app because it comes from such a pure place. So, honestly, this kid went viral for dancing in a Spider-Man costume in a GameStop, and he was from Memphis. Mm. And I just, you know, just sent him a message just saying, congrats, young Memphis, mm -hmm. to his DM. And he hit me back. He's like, are you a manager? And I was like, well, I managed my dad's estate. He's like, I need a manager. I really need a manager. And I was like, okay, well, you know, he's like, let's, let's get, have a conversation. He's like, on the phone in person. He sent me his number. And he was like, you know, hit me back or whatever. And I was like, all right, cool, I'll, I'll hit you back. And I got off that conversation. I was like, this kid is having a viral moment of his life and doesn't know how to capitalize off of it. Because he don't own Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. At any given moment, Spider-Man can be like, you know, Marvel and Disney can be like, stop using Spider-Man right. and do these dances. They haven't, but it made me think that people need to be able to learn how to dance like he dances. And I said, people need to be able to subscribe to people like you subscribe to people on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, OnlyFans that come out the year prior, it was called Fans Only. So yeah. when I started doing my research about apps and like the way that they work, I was like, okay, cool, but there's no application. There's no like mobile app that lets me subscribe to you or you subscribe to some other person. Right. And so uh, I took... $200,000, I took an advance of my royalties that I used from licensing music mm -hmm. 
and then built the MVP for fan base. So wow. that's for MVP, people don't know what that is. It's minimum viable product. So in mm-hmm. tech, it means you try to build like the basic bones of what an app will be. Mm-hmm. And we built that and it was the first, fan base is the first native application that allows a user to subscribe to another user via an in-app purchase. Okay. So not like OnlyFans or Patreon, we got to pull out your credit card and do that. This is just like you double click or face scan and you mm-hmm. subscribe to a person. Mm-hmm. So it's really incredible that that happened. Um, so we built it from June to, de- to December 2018. I put up 2019, I ain't tell nobody I built it. And the reason why is because when you go raise money from venture capital, they're gonna ask you questions like, how did you get your user base? Because we had like 10,000 users. Mm-hmm. And if I told them, I told you or other famous people I know to join the app, they were like, that's not real data. Right. Like, so I just let it sit there and we got to about 10,000 users and users were making money, but one user made about $6,000. And I said, that's what you have a proof of concept. Mm. That means people will subscribe to other people, mm-hmm. right? And in the back of my mind, I'm like, OnlyFans is coming. I say, when the, when the strippers find out about OnlyFans, it's a wrap. Like, yeah. It's gonna be, they're gonna take over the game mm-hmm. from the strip club side. But I wanna make a clean version where people could just like podcasting and cooking and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So then COVID hit 2019, 2020, I was about to raise money, I couldn't move. So a friend of mine suggested that I try this platform called Start Engine. So Start Engine is where you can raise money. It's like, think of something like GoFundMe, right? Mm-hmm. But GoFundMe is more like donations. So Start Engine is you actually take money, but people own part of the company. Mm-hmm. And it, it, they're taking advantage of this law that was written by, um, uh, enacted by Joe Biden, I'm sorry, Barack Obama and Joe Biden called the Jobs Act. So there's a rule that's really bullshit that's been around for 83 years, which is only accredited investors can invest in early stage startups. Hmm. So that means you have to either have a net worth of a million dollars minus your house, mm-hmm. or make over $200,000 a year for two consecutive years to invest in the company. Wow. So when you think about the IBMs, the Microsofts, the Apples, all that money came from people that were already rich because they were accredited investors. Mm-hmm. And that law's been in effect since 1935. So it's not even about color at that point because we're coming out of the Great Depression. Wow. It was just rich people like, we want the best opportunities and they said, we want to make sure that we protect, you know, the average person from investing in something that might, they might blow their life savings on, hmm. which is some bullshit. Right. right? Absolutely. So, because I tell you all the time, you, you don't have to be accredited to spend $5,000 on lottery tickets. Right. You don't have to be, you don't have to be accredited to go to Vegas and gamble $5,000 away. Right. So how come I can't put $5,000 on Apple? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or whatever. But anyway, they changed that law. So when I learned how much money Oren Michaels, there's a guy named Oren Michaels, he invested in Uber. Okay in 2010. He put $5,000 into Uber in 2010. Mm-hmm. He was an accredited investor. Gotcha. When the company went public in 2019, his 5,000 was worth 24 million. Mm-hmm. And I was like, see, come on, man. Like, you know how many street niggas I know was $5,000 strippers? Right. Man, me and 10 friends could have got $500 a piece and walked away with $2.4 million. Right. So the Jobs Act really creates the opportunity for you to, to let, it wipes out the accredited investor rule and anybody can invest in your company. So I, I was, my goal, initial goal was to raise a million for fan base. So I got accepted because it's really hard to get accepted to equity crowdfunding. Like only 2% of people that apply get accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, and we launched a campaign the end of October, beginning of November, and I raised a million dollars in three weeks. Wow. And I actually over-raised. Um, I hold the record for the second most amount of money raised in 24 hours, but I wound up raising $3.4 million in my first round, seed mm-hmm. round for fan base, which is incredible. And then I launched a second round 
um, the end of last year, like in December of last year, and I raised 2.5 million. Mm -hmm. And then now I just launched a final round. This is the last round that I launched on Start Engine, and I'm raising 2.5 million for fan base again. So anybody that can actually um, invest in own equity, because mm -hmm. I mean, the the user makes the platform valuable. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody left Instagram, everybody left Clubhouse, it'd be worth zero dollars and zero cents. Right. So who better than to give equity to than the people that actually use the platform? That's real. That's so real. Clubhouse was a play. I got invited to Clubhouse when there was 5,000 people on there. Mm. And um, it was in like August of 2020. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, there were black people on there. But let's just say they were the kind of black people that didn't want other black people on the app. Mm -hmm. They wanted to have opportunity to talk to all the VCs and kind of lock out all the black folks. Mm -hmm. and, and I saw some of my friends that were on there that were black, that had relationships with all these really high up white business people. I'm like, why haven't they told you about this? Hmm. Like y'all supposed to be cool. If, if, if Elon or Zuckerberg, all these VCs are in here and they didn't invite you to this and that's supposed to be your mans, uh, that ain't right. So I finagled and got like a bunch of invites. Hmm. So then I started inviting like all the coaches. Uh, start, uh, start, so I, start so I, invited like, so I invited like Snoop Dogg, I invited um, Van Lathan, I invited Brian Michael Cox. I invited, um, who else? I'm trying to think. Like, it was a ton of people. Mm -hmm. Like, Dina Marto, yeah. Hannah Kane, yeah. Molly, like, I just, Sean Garrett. Yeah. You know, I just started inviting See, all everybody. those people you name, and I remember, like, I got my invite <laughs> somewhere them, in the mix of, of them. that. Yeah, right. exactly. So, so that's what I knew. <laughs> and what happened was, when that happened, I said, we're going to get on this app and complain that we need our own app. Yep. And I said, I'm about to start a raise. Yep, and that's what every up. <laughs> so I, I said, I'm about to start a raise. So I'm going to hype everybody up. Yeah. And then I'm going to launch my raise. And that first $20,000, $30,000 of investment in the fan base came directly off of Clubhouse. Wow. They were like, we need to do this. And I didn't have audio at the time. Uh -huh. I didn't have no audio rooms. Mm -hmm. Fan base has audio rooms. But the goal was I'm going to, the first million users on, fan, uh, on Clubhouse wanted to invest in Clubhouse. And Clubhouse said no. And then they went and raised a hundred million dollars at a billion dollar valuation mm -hmm. and didn't let nobody invest. I said, I'm going to build audio. I'm going to build audio into fan base. Yeah. And then that was a desire to do that. So, um, but this round that I'm raising right now, mm -hmm. anybody can invest. So anybody watching right now, we've already raised $800,000 in a month. Mm -hmm. We're stopping at 2.5 million. Um, you can go to startengine.com slash fan base. If you want to invest, I tell everybody right now. StartEngine.com slash fanbase to invest. And the minimum to invest is $245. Mm -hmm. And why I think that's important is that's like the price of a pair of J's or like a dinner at Ruth Chris, but Absolutely. you can actually get some stock in a company. Yeah. And we have like over 8,000 investors. And these are people that actually have equity in a company that's growing. We, our first valuation was 20 million. Then we're from 20 million to 50 million. Now we're valued at 85 million. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to give people the opportunity to have equity rather than just be used by the platform to make money. Nah, absolutely, and I love that you're doing that. And um, I wanna reiterate you know, to our followers because we have you know, a large following base of really smart, you know, aspiring artists, singers. Uh... Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Um, executives, uh, people that just love the culture overall. Yeah. And, you know, 
we need to make sure that they understand that, you know, um, this equity crowdfunding is something where um, anyone can invest and then have ownership. You know, that's something that we weren't able to do with Uber or, you know, with, you know, these different startups, you know, that we see that have, you know, grown successful. So I think that's really important for people, especially amongst our culture, to know that there are opportunities where they can invest in. So there's a couple of things that I say. Number one, we know that black culture is the economic engine of social media. Yes. Like we get, we give our dances to TikTok, our clapback to Twitter, our skits to Instagram, but we don't own any of the infrastructures right. of the things that we do. One of the gift and curses of being someone black is we are the apex of innovation, hmm. but we innovate just naturally to the point that we create industries off of our innovations. Right. I had a chance to talk to Grandmaster Flash maybe about a month ago, and I just, there's, a, there's, a, there's a phrase or a saying that I always use when I talk to people. And I was like, the first time, and I told him this, I said, the first time you DJed on two turntables and a mixer, somebody should have pulled you to the side and said, do not show a motherfucker what you just showed me. Hmm. Don't show nobody. Let's go figure out how to build turntables and mixers. Right, right. Because everybody that does this is going to need that. Right. Fast forward, DJ culture is owned by Techniques. Yeah. Serato. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. Pioneer. Mm -hmm. We everybody should be DJing on the Flash 5000, whatever. Right. And Grandmaster Flash should be sitting up in a mountain somewhere with worth six, seven billion dollars because right. he created this culture. Right. And it's the same thing with automobile culture: rims, TVs in the headrests, LED lights in the ceilings. Mm -hmm. But we don't own a Ford, a Chrysler, a Buick, none of these platforms. Mm -hmm. And so what I say is the most important part is is we got to do that with social media. Mm -hmm. So now owning it you know what I'm saying, have equity in it, then you can spend all your time and move over to a platform that you own and increase the value of the platform. Right. I mean, because you have black Twitter, but then why isn't there a black, black Twitter? Twitter? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like why, why is, like what you're saying, why is the most influential uh, division within, you know, a company or a platform, yeah. why is the, that most influential part of it not a part of anywhere near owning it or, you know. I mean, tech is a very hard business to crack into. It's like, like, like it's less than 2% of all venture capital dollars go to black people hmm. and people of color. So think hmm. about that, 98% and all the black people trying to get in tech get less than 2%. That's yeah. why like the music industry uniquely prepared me for tech. Gotcha. Because nothing's more grimy than the music business. Yeah. So when I got to the tech space, I was like, oh, this is like, this is nothing compared to what the music business yeah. is. And I look at the VCs as like the label, mm -hmm. right? And then I look at fan bases like an artist. Mm -hmm. So if I sign a deal with a VC early, I'm gonna get the worst deal ever. I'm gonna get the half, I'm gonna get the half a million dollar advance. Yeah. They're gonna take 50% of the company. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna be in a, a deal that I don't like. So when I sell shares out the truck <laughs> of my car to the tune of almost $7 million, I'm independent now. Hmm. I got the streets behind me. Mm -hmm. I got like, yo, you, you selling, you, you independent. So now the VCs have to respect it. They can't hate on it because now it's like, yo, you've raised more money. I, I've raised, I'm the first black man to raise five million plus in equity crowdfunding in the Reg CF. So this is all history. None of this stuff's been done before. Fan base being able to subscribe to people. Like when people see Instagram doing subscriptions and all that, they got all that from us. Right, yeah. So the way that you see it now is really what what we built to begin with and so but everybody knows instagram copies everybody but i know sometimes it's hard to tell 
when you're still the growing app and the app's like, oh, Instagram's got subscriptions. I'm like, man, they worried about, they worried about us. Right. Because we trying to, what we trying to do is really provide monetization for everybody. Because mm-hmm. everybody complains about content suppression. Like, how do you feel about your visibility on Instagram? You think everybody sees your content? Absolutely not. Right. And why do you think that? <laughs> I mean, you couldn't allow people, they couldn't allow people to see everybody's content because if they did, then like it wouldn't even almost be a point of having that company to a certain degree. Like if, I mean, like if you've got like 10 million people, like they're going to, they're going to let like 3 million people see your stuff or if even it's, that many. It's if, less than that. Yeah. If even but that But I'm going to tell you from 2010 to 2014, IG was a really fun place. You could go viral in a day, get a million yeah. followers, right? Mm-hmm. Then they started running ads. Mm-hmm. So I pose this question to you, anybody watching. Why would Instagram let you reach 1 million people when they about to charge Walmart to reach 1 million people through ads? Right. That makes no sense. Right. Because if you could reach 1 million people, Walmart would just come to you and pay you right. and use your page as the outlet to run ads. Right. So when you see people with 20 million followers and they only got like 100,000 views on their video, that's because Facebook and Instagram are not going to let you reach all those people. Mm-hmm. So with fan base, I want everybody's content to reach everybody. Because mm. all I care about is with monetization is mm. the 5% of people that follow you turning into subscribers. Yeah, right? absolutely. So, so 95% of the people that follow you on social media follow you passively. Mm-hmm. They follow you like a magazine at the yep. grocery store. Mm-hmm. They nosy or they're haters. Mm-hmm. Right? The other 5% are your fan base. So let's say if you have 100,000 followers, you got 5,000 fans. Mm. And so a subscription on fan base is $4.99 and you get half that revenue. Apple and Google take 30, they gangsters. We take 20, we get 50 to the user. So at $2.50 a subscriber, think about this. That means if 5,000 people subscribe to you, you make 12,500 a month, you make $150,000 a year. All 5,000 people, Right. let's up it to 50,000. Mm-hmm. If you have 50,000 people mm-hmm. subscribed, you're making 125,000 a month, 1.5 million a year. Mm-hmm. So when I talk to people that are on YouTube, wherever could you make 1.5 million dollars a year off 50,000 views? Never. <laughs> no way. Never. <laughs> you can never do that. Right. And that's the point. It's like it's the it's, it's subscriptions are going to be the the game changer in the world because it's going to emancipate every single person on the planet Mm -hmm. from actually systems of control like Instagram and Facebook that limit your visibility where there's 7.4 billion people on the planet with a smartphone but only 222 million people subscribe to Netflix so people subscribing to people is going to be bigger than Netflix ever could be and if those people are like you and say like off the porch says we're going to turn this into a series or a whole nother TV show, or we're gonna do a whole new show and put it behind the paywall. Now you're Netflix without having to be on Netflix because fan base is the, the conduit behind that. Right, right. So we have this thing called Fan Base Plus, which is like our version of YouTube. And, like, and so you can post long form content up to like two hours behind mm-hmm. a paywall. Mm-hmm. So that whole thing is like now you can put a movie, a podcast, a TV show, a reality show behind a paywall inside a social network and make hella bread. Wow. See, that, that takes it like to that next level. Um, I know when I when I was first, you know, sort of seeing um, like subscription based um, social media or subscription based platforms, I would say it was Twitch. Mm-hmm. But Twitch is to me more uh, synonymous to YouTube. It, it, yeah. it feels, you know, like that platform and it's not a place where you're like an Instagram or, or a fan base, mm-hmm. let me, you know, speak that out. Um, it's not like where you are 
every hour on the hour, like posting where you're at, what you're doing, you know, things like that. So yeah. it's like a whole different feel. Um, it's almost like a, a, a television station to a certain degree. Absolutely. So when I saw a fan base and what you guys were doing, like I, I really like saw like the innovation um, with that. We got, I mean, we got, we, we have to tell, I mean, look, I said, whether I do it or somebody else does it, subscriptions are the future. Mm-hmm. When, I, when, when someone like The Rock has 300 million followers on social media, but only 7 million people see his posts, mm-hmm. in the future, he'll be able to make half a billion a year off 5% of the people that follow him, subscribe to him. Mm-hmm. Half a billion, 500 million a year. Mm-hmm. And what that tells me is The Rock could take $100 million and film his own movie and put it on his fan base page. Mm-hmm. Now he ain't got to go to Netflix no more. Right. It's just go to Fanbase Plus, watch my movie, subscribe directly to me for my content. And so when you think about all the people that I don't care if you crochet, you cook, you, you dance, you know how to tell people to do their taxes better, you're giving relationship advice, there's a fan base that exists for all of us. And so that's really the reason behind the platform. And again, um, <laughs> I, I say this all the time, like, I don't think that there's any amount of innovation that Facebook and Instagram can do to capture kids. Because hmm. kids are always going to be on apps that their parents are not on. Right. So you're not going to get a 14-year-old a to make a Facebook page. Right. Their grandmama's on Facebook. Right. They're going to be as far away from that as they can. Their mom is on Instagram. They, their older brother and sister is on Snapchat. Mm-hmm. They're going to start with TikTok or something new. Mm-hmm. So fan base is positioned to be the, the successor to those apps, not a competitor. Cause I'm just trying to go young. I don't want, I don't like, again, like my mama got on Facebook, I left Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I'm not concerned about what Facebook and Instagram are doing. Right. They're trying to do what we do because they understand like every, so in my opinion, every social media platform has a lifespan. It mm-hmm. will live, it will die. Mm-hmm. MySpace is dead, Facebook's a senior citizen, Instagram's a middle-aged person, Snapchat's a millennial, TikTok's a centennial, and fan base is for centennials and generation alpha. Mm-hmm. The only immortal social media platform is Twitter. And the difference between Twitter and every other social media platform is, is social media platforms are defined by the generation that make them relevant. Mm-hmm. Twitter is defined by what's happening right now. Right. Yeah. What did Kanye yeah. say? Twitter's a news feed. It, it, what did Kanye say? Yeah. Who won the game? You know, mm-hmm. is there a shooting at a school? What happened? Mm-hmm. It's literally, I, I call it, Twitter is the, is the hip hop of tech. Yeah. That's why rap is immortal. Yeah. Cause it's like somebody will say something and then it'll be in a song next week. Mm-hmm. Something about Kanye West is going to be in a record next week. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? White Lives Matter will be in a record. Whatever, mm-hmm. whatever's happening on in the country, it's like real time conversation. So um, that's Twitter. But, but fan base, like I said, is just that next iteration that's going to allow people to make tons of money. And I'm talking about everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this. If, you didn't, if you're not monetizing your content, and I said this to a female rapper. Mm-hmm. This is a real true statement. I said, if you're not monetizing your content today, five years from now, you're going to regret that you didn't start today because hmm. you're going to be out earned by somebody that is less talented than you, but simply decided to do so. Mm-hmm. And you know what? In less than six months, Bad Baby made, she posted she made $42 million off OnlyFans. Yeah. That's more money than Cardi B, Nicki Minaj, Lotto, Doja Cat, Meg Thee Stallion. She made more money than all of them, but she monetized her content. She has 16 million followers on Instagram. She pulled all her content off Instagram, archived it all, mm-hmm. and put a link in her bio and said, you can stream my song, you can watch my video, or you can go to my OnlyFans. Mm-hmm. And in one year, she, got, she made 16 million in subscriptions and 25 million off of unlocks off 55,000 people. Not 16 million. Yeah. Now, what do you think 
drove so many people to tap in with her on OnlyFans when her content wasn't even really sexual like that. That's the first thing that I did when the first thing that I did when I found out she made that money is I went and subscribed to OnlyFans. Yeah. Like, what you trying to see? I was like, no, <laughs> I want to know how someone makes right. $42 million in a year. Right. This is what I saw. Number one, the content wasn't sexual, right? It was mainly her in like bikinis and lingerie. Mm -hmm. It was 160 pieces of content and the videos are no longer than 15 seconds. Mm. It's just, there is a fan base. Again, she's got 16 million followers. She made all that money off 55,000 people. I know people with 13 million TikTok followers that is broke, hmm. but there are people with 50,000 people subscribed to them that are making a million dollars a year. Because that part, like, I'm glad you said that because that part of the game, the vanity part, when it comes to social media, trick. has so many people lost. Um, and, you know, like I, I work with, you know, so many artists, you know, that come to me and have a lot of fake followers and, you know, fake subscribers and things like that. But the, and so it looks good in vanity when you say I've got 100,000 followers, but then you post something and your engagement is super low. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, then like the what is it the uh the curtain is you know pulled back but i think that you know fan base and doing it this way like when it's based on subscribers it really i mean it's forced to you know you have to make sure that your fans are engaging because if they're not engaging then you're not going to get the results that you would get in these types of and an important thing to know about fan base and what i express is fan base is a free app to use so you can have followers and subscribers on the same page gotcha so you can have 100,000 followers mm -hmm. and 5,000 subscribers mm -hmm. and your followers see the same stuff they would see like on an Instagram or whatever and post mm -hmm. and then your subscribers see your subscriber content. So gotcha. it's free to download, free to use, I tell everybody. Cause people are like, you gotta pay to be on there. I'm like, no, you ain't gotta buy the app. It's free to download, mm -hmm. make a page. And you can, I made it, I had the team build a migration tool that actually copies all of your Instagram posts mm -hmm. or your TikTok posts and pastes them over on your fan base page. Mm -hmm. So now you ain't got to post all your content over again. Mm -hmm. It's like, I ain't got to start from scratch. It's okay. just like, all right, boom. It stays on Instagram, mm -hmm. but now I've copied all my content, pasted it over on fan base, and now I can start fresh. And you instantly turn all your free content into content that can be tipped because there's such a thing called love on fan base. Cause you can like a photo for free. Mm -hmm. And if you tap the, the heart icon, you love somebody's post, you give them half a penny. Mm -hmm. So loves are another way to make money. So you make money off subscriptions and loves, and you yeah. can get loves on free content. Mm -hmm. So it's a whole mechanism just to monetize everything. And people are making money. Mm -hmm. People that have invested in fan base, remember, spent $245, they've been on fan base and made the money back using fan base that they invested. Mm -hmm. So now you own part of a company for free already. Mm -hmm. That's why I tell people all the time, like, again, startengine.com slash fan base. Again, to invest in fan base, I'm gonna say that because right. once this is the last round we do because I've done this three times and I was like, after this, I have to go raise venture capital for major corporations. So series A is when you raise like 20, $40 million to really scale the company faster. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we really hit our stride. But I still, like the, the legacy that I want for fan base is a, a, people that invested early and then have that same kind of exit like Uber, where it's mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, eight years from now, fan base went public or somebody buys fan base for like a hundred billion dollars or something crazy. And now we all millionaires. Right. Now I done made like thousands and thousands of people, hundred thousand heirs, millionaires and mm -hmm. multi-millionaires mm -hmm. off the fact that they just said, I got in early and I'm only using the platform, but I'm an ownership, I have ownership of a platform. So that, that's another part. Right. Um, what do you say to people 
um, you know, who would come back to you saying, hey, you know, I've got Twitter, I've got Instagram, I've got Snapchat, I'm active on all these social media um, platforms. Okay, I see your platform. Why should I get active on this next platform? Right. And so I say that people are in these dysfunctional relationships, like almost like real dating relationships with their apps. Hmm. You complain about the app and you stay. You don't like what they do and they stay. They shadow ban you, you stay. They don't, you don't get the respect and you stay. I say date apps. Date every app. Hmm. Here's the reason why. Cheat on all your apps. Mm -hmm. Don't leave any of them. <laughs> Just date all of them, mm -hmm. right? And the reason I say this is, let's use DJ Khaled for an example. If DJ Khaled would have remained faithful to MySpace or mm -hmm. faithful to Facebook or faithful to Twitter or faithful to Instagram, he would have never went out on a date with Snapchat mm -hmm. and changed his life. Right. Snapchat is the app that propelled him to superstar. Right. Imagine if he just said, no, nah, I ain't going over there. I'm right here. I'm already on Twitter and, and Facebook and Instagram. I'm on all these other apps. No. Nah. Or Jason Derulo. Jason Derulo was all but gone from the music industry. He got on TikTok. He's one of the largest TikTokers. He's making more money than he ever did yeah. because he decided, I'm going to go try something new. You should try every single app because mm -hmm. you never know which app is going to be the app that changes your life, where you're going to find that unique combination of audience and functionality and timing that says, this is the place where I can build my fortune. Mm -hmm. Every app is going to have their Tila Tequila, mm -hmm. right? Like Khaled was the Tila Tequila of MySpace, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, I mean, right. Tila Tequila of, of, of Snapchat. Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing that's important. Like, you got to try them all. Okay, okay. Um, and so where... Um where do you see a fan base um, being in the future? Like, what's the vision, you know, down the line um, for fan base? I want to I be as disruptive as I possibly can be. Um, I want to um, absorb as much media as I possibly can. So podcasting, gaming, you know, all these things that we can put inside of social media platforms and make them very convenient for users to use. Mm -hmm. And then also monetize. Because social networks are about community. It's community first. Mm -hmm. I love that celebrities have like come to fan base and all that kind of stuff, but the users are what make it popular. So mm -hmm. like building community is really the most important part. Without community, because celebrities come and go, they get busy, but the people that spend the time there, and we have people that stay on fan base longer than YouTube, longer than Instagram, longer than TikTok. The average time spent on YouTube a day is 40 minutes. The average time spent on TikTok is 32. The average time spent on Instagram is 28 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. People are spending an hour in, in 15 minutes a day on fan base, wow. and sometimes even longer. And I think, I think it's the combination of the audio rooms mm -hmm. and you can minimize the room and still scroll the app. So you can, ah. so you can be in the audio room and listen, but mm -hmm. still scroll the feed okay. and, and engage with content. You tap a button, you're right back in the audio room. Ah. And, and we've got monetized audio rooms. Like you can make rooms for your subscribers. Mm. So imagine you're an artist, you wanna have a virtual meet and greet. Like, oh, you gotta subscribe wow. to come to the audio room, I'm gonna talk to my fans yeah. and have conversation. It's, mm -hmm. it's so, so for me, if you're not pissing off the platforms that pre-exist, like they exist before you, then you're doing it wrong. So I definitely want to piss off Instagram and say, I want them, I want them doing exactly what they're doing, mm -hmm. which is acclimating to what I'm doing. They worry. That's the biggest form of flattery. It's like, oh yeah, we got subscriptions. Right. Oh yeah, we got this, we got th that means you are that means you over here really bothered because yeah. you see what's coming down the, the tracks because you've underserved this community of users for so long. And now here comes somebody that's like, I just want you to, if you go live and got 100 million followers, I just want to send out 100 million notifications. Mm -hmm. If you post your photo and to, to 100,000 people, I want 100,000 people to see it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to play these games with you off your visibility because it's not about ads for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to block your visibility to make money off mm -hmm. you. This is the thing about it. If 
the platform doesn't pay you directly. I say this to anybody. If the platform doesn't pay you directly, mm-hmm. not allow you to monetize, then you're the product. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Hmm. Yeah, if Instagram's not cutting you a check directly, then you're what's being sold. Yeah. And that's what they do. They monetize these audiences. Like Insta- Instagram and Facebook made $115 billion in ad revenue in 2021. Wow. $115 billion would it be? Mm-hmm. And here's something more important to understand about that. When you take that, and I say, well, what do they do for the, for the kids that create these dances, right? I tell anybody, Instagram and Facebook made $115 billion. Go ask them to take $5 billion and put it in Chicago. Hmm. Take $5 billion and put it in the hood in Atlanta. Take $5 billion and put it in Baltimore. And they're looking at you crazy. And they're looking like, man, get out of here. Right. But fan base? Oh, yeah, that's what I want to do. Hmm. I want to be able to serve our community with billions of dollars of revenue because I know that all this dope stuff that comes from us, like... That, that winds up being copied mm-hmm. by other people, which is fine because that's what TikTok is for. It's like, you do the dance, I do the dance. Mm-hmm. You do the dance, you do the skit, I do the skit. But the problem is, is that they monetize that to the tune of having white viewership so they can run white ads mm-hmm. and make a whole bunch of money off the white community. Mm-hmm. So they say, we just need you to make up the dance then we want this creator to do the same dance and they get 100 million views and then we can run ads in between all that content and make mm-hmm. a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So we just need you to make it up so we can copy it, which is fine, but then we monetize that on another level. And right. I, want to, I want to destroy all that. Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, so fan base, uh, as of right now, doesn't have an ad model. No. Right? Okay. No, it's, it's, just, it's free to download, free to use. You, there's no, if I could show you how fast it is, and I will after we're done. I'll show you how fast you can subscribe to somebody, mm-hmm. and you're gonna be like, "Oh, like, I get it. Like, somebody's gonna go viral." Because remember, we're not limiting visibility. So somebody's gonna go viral on fan base with subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Someone's gonna get like two million subscribers in a day, and then the world's gonna shift. Mm-hmm. You got what? You made how much in a day? Oh yeah, I made like four million dollars in one day. Yeah. I went live on fan base. Like I DJ, like like for fun. Mm-hmm. But you can so to all the DJs out there too. We don't cut off your live like how Facebook and them do, mm-hmm. because we have the licenses in place and we can pay those license fees to allow DJs to DJ as long as they want to. Okay. But I got on there and I, I, I fake DJ for like maybe 45 minutes, <laughs> but I had 236 total viewers and I made $254. Oh, wow. So that let me know that one day somebody's gonna go live on Fanbase with a million viewers and make a million dollars. Wow, wow. So you can go on Fanbase and play, I can, so I can go on Fanbase I can play some music, you know, by Snoop, and it won't get muted or anything because no. uh, the licensing is absolutely is go live and spend to your heart's content, and the audio quality is way better. Wow! I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna yeah. show you when we start. When we start talking, like, yo, you can be like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, there's so much. Like, subscription is like as a perk. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be incredible. Like, imagine offering. Like, I think we're in this space where NFTs and Web three and crypto mm-hmm. are at a place where it's not. It's not, the masses don't understand it. Mm-hmm. I, that's the thing about it. Like, I don't understand crypto and <laughs> Web3. And, and, and people are funny about their money. Oh, yeah. So you ain't going to get people to just dump their money into a market and not right. understand exactly how this shit works. Right. Like, how I'm going to get my money back, how I'm going to do this, right? Yeah. So A lot of people just lost a lot of money in and NFTs. Crypto. Yeah, and, and crypto, and, right? And crypto, yeah, the markets crashed. Yeah. It was yeah. like, yeah, it was good for me. It was all fun. Right. Until yeah. it 
shit go belly up. People find out these NFTs worth $3 and... <laughs> I think they said the one NFT, the one NFT that was sold, well, the first tweet was sold for like $2 million, now it's like $95. Oh my God. I'm like, yo fam. That first lick though, that first dude, right. he got a lick though. Oh yeah. He sold it, but I mean, I think that the, the real utility is subscription. Mm -hmm. It's a perk. So brands mm -hmm. like, like Nike, mm -hmm. like all these brands I can use, fan base as a perk to do it. Like I say, like, you know about Slutty Vegan, right? Mm -hmm. So I love, I love the lines be crazy, right? Oh, yeah. But imagine being a fan base subscriber, you can cut the line. Hmm. Since I'm subscribed to fan base, I just, I, right. I cut the line. Or mm -hmm. I can order off a menu that nobody else can order off mm -hmm. of. Or I can buy products that no one else can buy. Or I'm subscribed to the Hawks on fan base, so I get to go to shoot around. Mm -hmm. Or they might give me courtside tickets every now and then because they're making money off subscriptions because it's only for the fan base. Yeah. So the Hawks fans like, oh, you gotta, we got a separate entrance. You get courtside seats and da 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 da. Of course. Hmm. That's just going, you know, it's subscription as a perk is going to be a game changer. I yeah. keep saying like subscriptions is like, trust me. Yeah. There's going to be so much money made. It's going to be like, this is ridiculous. Nah, that's where it's at. Yeah. I, I agree with it. I mean, because I, you know, I, I pride myself in being one of the early adopters or one of the early people early on with even seeing that like music was going to be subscription based. Mm -hmm. I remember working at the labels before we had streaming and saying, hey, like music is going to be like cable TV. It's going to be like where you can pay a monthly fee and just have access to everything. everything. And so no, I definitely feel like I mean, because it falls all in line and yeah. this whole on demand, uh, you know, this this pay-per-view on demand like wave that we're in like everybody wants to be able to control you know their content and create and create their own experience yeah and what i what i call that is microcasting right mm -hmm. so broadcast is like xfinity comcast all those big cable networks right mm -hmm. that we've known most of our lives then narrow casting is like hulu netflix mm -hmm. hbo max right yeah. Microcast is I subscribe to you. Right. I subscribe to Beyonce. Right. I subscribe to the Lakers. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I subscribe to an influencer for the content that they create. Yeah. That's the real kind of like, so imagine millions of people doing that and then people being able to, what I love about fan base is, is fan base gives you the opportunity to build a business with just a phone. Yeah. You got content, you put it behind a paywall, somebody subscribes, you can turn that into a business. Mm -hmm. And that, like I said, that's, that's fortune telling, that's comedy, like, that's anything that you can think of. When I ask people, like, let me ask you a question. Do you have Netflix? Yes. How many shows do you watch on Netflix in a year? To be honest, I feel like I spend more time scrolling through Netflix than I do actually watching anything. I'm going to be real. I've, I've, I've had Netflix, and I've watched two shows in the last year. Yeah. It's been Dave Chappelle's comedy special and Kanye West documentary. Mm. So why don't I just subscribe directly to Dave and Kanye? Right. So Dave can just put up comedy specials whenever yeah. he wants, and I just pay four ninety five a month, mm -hmm. four ninety nine a month. Subscribe to him. Kanye can do all the content that he want to put up, or right. whatever. Well, actually, we we yeah we don't we right now we don't want him on. We might not right want now. that. We, we don't want him on family. <laughs> they reached out. They reached out, and I was like, nah. I don't. They said, look, we want Kanye to get on social media, and he's getting censored. And I was like, he can't come on family. Oh man, I hate, I hate to say no, but Kanye can't. Kanye, you know, I, I hate to say that it's a little it's a little rough right now, but. Uh, but the ability for any person to be able to monetize their mm -hmm. content, I think, is, is dope. Are there any um, are there are there any celebrities or any people of influence that have joined fan base that that has surprised you or um, you know anything like that? Well, one thing about so this is the thing about celebrities, right? And I had a conversation with Snoop last night. We were talking about this. He was talking about how when he started his All Black Football League, 
a lot of people didn't like come and support him. Mm-hmm. Like the youth, youth football league, youth football league, like celebrities, right? Mm-hmm. Now everybody's a part of it. He, it takes time. He says, what you're doing, he told me, he's like, what you're building with fan base? He's like, you're gaining respect because you're doing it like from a pure place. Mm-hmm. And he goes, we all, ain't, we, we all ain't gonna pull up till it's sexy. So I tell everybody like, I mean, Snoop's got a page, like Lotto's got a page, like there's a lot of people that make pages and stuff all the time and they stay, like I said, they just don't, they don't have that aha moment yet gotcha. where it benefits them, right? Mm-hmm. So consistency is what it's about in social media. Mm-hmm. So um, I tell everybody fan base is like a nightclub. So like right now it's like 1045. I mean, it's cold on the inside. You can get straight to the bar. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of room. Mm-hmm. When it's like 1.30 in the morning, 2 a.m., that's when everybody's gonna pull up and act mm-hmm. like, Fan base just came out yesterday, like, oh, it's popping. I'm like, man, we've been over here for two years. Right. Y'all, you know, that's how, twi- that's how Twitter was for me. I was on Twitter for like a year and a half before it got popular. Yeah. And it was boring. Mm-hmm. Nobody was on Twitter. And then Michael Jackson died, and then everybody just came to Twitter like yeah. that next month. Mm-hmm. So every, every app has that viral moment where it's just going to be like, all right, cool. You know, it blows up. So we're patient about it. But I love the fact we're founded right here in Atlanta, Georgia. The, the design is to allow people to actually have equity in it. Mm-hmm. Um, we keep the culture in mind first and we want to make everybody get paid. So that's what's up. That's what's up. Um, so I know I've, I've heard you speak on this a little bit, um, in terms of like another form of monetization, you know, a lot of people, it's like the, the new thing now is everybody selling their catalogs. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard you speak on this a little bit and I definitely want to, you know, tap into that with you because I feel like. It's, I feel like it's a good thing in this age of the music industry because I feel like, you know, an artist's career early on, when you first sign it, no, you shouldn't sign your record deal and then also for an extra five to $10,000 sign over your publishing rights, right. you know, back when you didn't know, have any idea what that meant. Mm-hmm. And when somebody was trying to explain to you and say, hey, in 10 or 15 years, you're gonna get a big check and you looking like, nah, give me that 15,000 right now. Like, give me that, all right. right. Um, but nowadays, if you do it now, you know, an artist has built up a catalog and then they sell it. And then I feel like, you know, now you have the ability to then go and almost make like part two of a catalog and right. continue to like kind of build that up. So yeah. I see it as a, as, a, as, a, as a dope way for artists to uh, maybe even gain more fruits of their labor, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, after like building, um, you know, a certain catalog. But, but what's your thoughts on, on, on that whole? Uh... I'm very skeptical. Mm-hmm. Here's the reason why. Technology always surprises us. So there are points in time where, imagine people that sold their catalog in 1984, two years before sampling took off. Mm. Like technology always shows you like, oh, there's gonna be sampling and there's gonna be CDs and there's gonna be MP3s and there's gonna be streaming and there's gonna be another level. It's gonna be the metaverse. It's gonna be something else where they, so publishing is, in my opinion, is always it's like musical real estate. You own it until you sell it. So we've got numerous offers to sell my dad's catalog. And I'm like, nah, one reason is for sure. It's like, it's cool when Bruce Springsteen sells his catalog, but Isaac Hayes has like this evergreen catalog where people continue to sample him and make new records and new records and new records and records of those records. So I'm like, Nah, we're going to hold on to that. Also, um, when, I, when I mentioned before, there's 7.4 billion people on the planet with a smartphone. Mm-hmm. On music streaming services, there's only 424 million people. Hmm. So what happens when there's a billion people on music streaming? Right. Or two billion people? You know how much right. your catalog is going to make then? Right, right. And they just passed the law 
where they give, they're giving, they, they increase mechanical royalties from nine to 15%. It was a 44% mm-hmm. increase in the amount of royalties that you're going to be able to get. So if you sold your catalog two year, a year ago, it's worth 44% more now. Wow. Just off that one law change. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's like, nah, we holding on. Like, yep. you know, again, like we're just getting all my dad's stuff back. Gotcha. And so we want to get the entire catalog back mm-hmm. and then monetize it through, like I said, streaming right. and, and, and metaverse and licensing. Right. Like we just, got, we just got one of his biggest songs back in March of this year. And we've probably gotten the song licensed 10 times already. It's called Hold On, I'm Coming by Sam and Dave. Huh, wow. Have you ever heard the dum 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 He wrote that sure. with David Porter. Man, I'm telling you, the deals that, it'd be like, we want to license this for like a commercial for $160,000. Hmm. And we get half that money. Mm-hmm. That's, just one, that's just one license. Right. So imagine you say your catalog, you know, and I understand people that sell their catalogs, like mm-hmm. don't get it twisted because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you how to run your business because if you're gonna t- take your catalog and sell it and say you're gonna use that money to invest in tech, you know, you're gonna take your catalog and do that. But I've talked to people and they're like, man, I sold my catalog and I heard what you said. And now I'm thinking like, damn, I don't know if I should have sold that shit. Uh-huh. It's a lot of people that have hit me like that. I'm yeah. like, it's cool though, but I mean, y- you got the money, you know what yeah. I'm saying? It's just now you, now you just can't spend it. You just got to invest it. Right. You got you to do the 5,000. Now you're a credited investor. Now mm-hmm. you got to do the 5,000 on this tech company, 10,000 on this tech company and let it flip and grow mm-hmm. and turn into something massive. Yeah. Yeah, no, nah, it, that, that is definitely a, a inter- that's an interesting like side and an interesting view on it. Um, because, I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's like something where in some cases for some people, it could it could be beneficial because they may not have the know-how to actually go out and get licensing yeah. on their current catalog things like that so it may just be sitting and they just make whatever they would have made but then yeah. someone who's more a little more savvy should probably consider not doing that and then taking you know those steps towards monetizing the catalog that well, they I mean more. I just think the the veracity that people are trying to buy catalogs is telling me something. Because mm-hmm. they savage about, we oh, need yeah. the catalog. Like, you want to sell your catalog? If they doing that about that, that means they know something oh, yeah. that we don't know. For sure. And if you selling, it's like, you thinking, all right, cool. But it's like, nah, about five, 10, when it's, when it's three, million, three billion people on music streaming services mm-hmm. and your catalog making a five million a month and you sold it for 50 million, you'd be like, oh my God, like, I can't believe it. So yeah. I'm just, I, I'm just, I'm taking the long game bet. I can dig it. Yeah. Do you have any uh, final words or shout outs? Uh, shout out everybody that's, that's, that's downloaded fan base and used fan base. Shout out you for having me. Uh, I think it's, a, it's a, gr- a great opportunity to get the message out, especially to, to an audience of culture that knows exactly like that, that generates the future and sets the trends. And so um, I implore you to really go and check out um, fan base. Download it, like monetize your content. Um, you can invest, like I said, we're raising 2.5 million. We've already raised 800,000 in a month. I'm stopping it at 2.5. Um, you can go to startengine.com slash fan to invest. The minimum is 245, so don't feel pressure. You're just gonna have to not go to Ruth Chris for a weekend, you know what I'm saying? You're not gonna have to buy the J's for a weekend, but you'll have some shares in the company 
and you're really prepare yourself. And it's like we coming up on the holidays. Buy some stock. Buy some stock as a Christmas gift. Like you know, just like just let's do something different. Yeah. We always you know people people buying sections and throwing money at the club. Right. Like, let's take a little money and put it in a tech startup. Just something different for a change. You know, and especially something that. I think when people see the tech of Fanbase, it's solid. But shout out, shout out to everybody that works at Fanbase, like all the cool people that work there, my team, um, and all the supporters that we have, um, the investors that we have. We have some phenomenal investors on the cap table. I'm not going to tell you everybody that's invested. There's some famous people that are invested in Fanbase that I really appreciate too, but it's more about giving the younger people an opportunity to invest too. So I, it's just been a joy, man, to be able to do this and, and and, and, uh, and technology was always a passion of mine. When I was growing up, I said I either wanted to make video games or do music. And that was kind of funny how I wound up starting in music and I've kind of ventured over to the tech space and I'm having so much fun doing it. That's what's up. That's what's up. And yeah. tell them again where they can go to, um, to uh, be a part of, you know, investing into fan yeah. base. So one more time, it, it's startengine.com slash fan base. Um, and the minimum is $245 to invest and that's the maximum is a hundred thousand. You want to put a hundred thousand in fan base, put a hundred thousand in fan base, but, um, but the minimum is 245 and, and, and the shares are 395 a share. So you get a, a good, a good chunk of shares. And let me tell you, the people that invested in the first round at 20 million now fan base over 85. So their shares are worth four times as much when they invested, you see what I'm saying? And that's how it works. You got to think about this fan base value at 85 million Facebook is is a 500 billion dollar company hmm. TikTok is a 400 billion dollar company so imagine going from 85 million to 10 billion to 100 billion fan base and you got shares in that company right and then somebody says look I right, we want to buy it or we go public it's cash out time when you hear when you hear like Nas was in like uh, Coinbase right. and Ring and all right. that. That's what he, it's, it's the same type of investment. Mm -hmm. He got in like six, seven years ago, put his money, the company grows, and then they exit and IPO, and then you sell all your stock the day it hits the stock market, or you get acquired. And that's called a liquidity event, and then that's when you cash out. That's what's up. That's what's yeah, up. Man. man, Isaac Hayes III, appreciate you jumping off the porch with us, bro. Hey, man, thanks for having me, man. Yes, sir. Appreciate yes, sir. it. Yes, sir.